The next African story will be written by Africans. Meet the people using technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative. This is Building the Future Podcast with your host, Dalton, coming up today on Building the Future. You know, it's really hard to find something that you're really passionate about. You have to give up the time that you dedicated to your family, your friends. And it's a journey that is pretty lonely, but it's also selfish because you know what? While we're hustling, while we're fighting for our company, we're living the life. You have to remember the person you were while you were fighting. And when I was fighting, man, I was happy to stay awake late at night. I was living my life. Building the Future Podcast Season 3 is brought to you in partnership with Flutterwave. Flutterwave's business is about connecting global businesses to Africa and building new businesses out of Africa through payment and technology. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion of Flutterwave. To get started, go to flutterwave.com. My guest today is Tonje. Uh, Tonje is someone that I've heard about and I've met and quite respect him for what he's done with AfroStream and his background as someone I would call it a Pan-African. Uh, there are few people that you meet, an entrepreneur in Africa that you can actually call Pan-African because maybe their business is based in one particular part of Africa and they only have a view or maybe a region in Africa, maybe they are Anglo-African or they are Francophone African. Tonje is somebody that I can say caught across a lot of barriers, uh, Francophone, Anglophone, Pan-African. You rarely even know that he's from Cameroon. So it's a pleasure to have Tonje on Building a Future podcast today. So Tonje, welcome to Building Hi, a Future. Hi, guys. Great. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for having me. I'm it's... super excited to share uh, my thoughts and just to reconnect with your audience. So thank you for having me. That's great. So I'm going to start with AfroStream, actually. I read your blog post after you shut down the service, and it, it was quite inspiring. Even though I know it might be a bit difficult for you to write it, it's not something that you really wanted to write because you want to build a billion-dollar business with AfroStream. But it's very inspiring. It's quite a counterculture to a lot of African entrepreneurs to write such an open letter and also vulnerable at that point, but then also teaching a lot of things. I'm going to quote some something from that blog post and I want to start from there. So at the end of the blog post, you wrote a PS. It says, starting a startup is like creating a Tinder profile. At first sight, it is attractive. When you look closer, it looks complicated. At a third glance, it looks insurmountable. But as in all dating, starting a startup begins with passion, but sometimes ends with a tear. As in any relationship, the fear of suffering in the end should not overshadow all the happiness that precedes. It's exactly the same with entrepreneurship. After a failure, we must start again. If it had, if it had to be done again, I would do it. That's a very philosophical viewpoint. Can you delve more into that long statement I just read now? You know, it's really hard to find something that you're really passionate about. And entrepreneurship is not just a question of becoming rich or well-known. It's having a purpose. And in terms of sacrifice, everything you have to give up to become a great entrepreneur, you have to give up the time 
that you dedicated to your family, your friends. And it's a journey that is pretty lonely, but it's also selfish because you know what? While we're hustling, while we're fighting for our company, we're living the life. It's so exciting. You live your full life. I remember like every meetings, even when it was hard with investors or potential partners, I was living the life. I was myself. Mm. And so even if, you know, then I failed, I failed because, you know, AlphaStream didn't exist anymore. It was the end of the dream. You know, even if it was hard, it wasn't the end of me, the end of this love that I have with value creation, with social impact, with elevating my people, sharing our cultures, not at all. So once you suffer because it's the end, you have to remember the person you were while you were fighting. And when I was fighting, man, I was happy to stay awake late at night. I was living my life. Not, not I was not bowling, but I was like, I was myself. You know, like sometimes I felt guilty because, you know, my friends were, were like, oh, Tanja, you walk too much. I was like, yeah, I walk too much. Okay, I can't, I can't really like it. You know, I, I'm like, <laughs> it's not like it's a job. It's a, I, I used to say this. I used to say this. Like my job, if I'm not paid for it, I would do it. I mean, it's something I would yeah. do even if I'm not paid to do it. So being paid and getting very good outsized return on the back of it is just a bonus. I can identify what you're talking about. People look at me and so say, you, you work weekends, you work late night, you travel a lot. Isn't it very hard? And yes, but I'm, I'm enjoying it as well. But it's hard work, but I enjoy it. There's nothing I would have done as if not for this one i would have done it even if i'm not paid to do it so i can get what you're talking about and so regarding the comparison with relationships mm. it's like what you do as an entrepreneur is for yourself for your true self it's not about what people will say so because you know like love is so important in your life if you have a failing relationship you will try to find another love it's so damn important and so i think that my soul is a soul the soul of an entrepreneur you know i never dreamed to become an entrepreneur i started to become an entrepreneur because i had to create opportunities for myself in an industry that i love so since i had no opportunity no network nothing I had to start creating my own opportunity. Right. And so now, let's talk about that, your background then. Where you said you, you didn't st start up to become an entrepreneur in the first place, but now you fall in love with that entrepreneurship. So you're going to start again. It's like a relationship to you. If you have a bad relationship with somebody, that doesn't stop you from getting into the ring again and getting in love with somebody else. But let's start with Tonje. Tonje grew up in Paris and you were working in the creative industry and then you had a dream to become something, maybe a producer. How did you stumble into entrepreneurship and take that leap? So like the story, is, the story starts really simply. Tonje, young, black guy who grew up, raised in Paris, Born and raised in Paris, my father was a doctor, mother, a nurse, both from Cameroon. And, you know, like, I just had this passion for storytelling. You know, I know my father's dream was for me to become a doctor or lawyer or engineer. But for me, it was like, uh, how can I inspire people? How can I be the catalyzer for the next generation of, of immigrants and give them a platform for them to be creative and just have big dreams? You know, when I was young, I was inspired by some movies and series and the funny thing is when I was dreaming about those movies I was becoming the character it was like a young African man became the superhero right and so from those contents from those stories I gained some confidence because I felt like 
I was one of them. And so I felt like my mission uh, in this life would be to give tools to my people to become more and more confident and storytelling would be the key. And so that's why I started to develop this interest for the entertainment industry. Interesting. Because, yeah, because entertainment is what we see on TV and that's what we are inspired by entertainment. And so then I was about 16 years old and I had no access to this industry. So I figured out that a way to do it would be with the music industry. And that right. time it was the beginning of the hip-hop industry in France. So... Uh, I figured out a way to connect with some artists. And, and hip hop is became, black, majorly, right? In, yeah, so. hip hop is majorly black, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, in Europe, especially in France. And so, you know, I was about to connect with some artists. Then I became intern when they were producing music videos. And then I became music video director. And then I was producing music videos. And then I turned, I turned 20. 21 so i was still pretty young and i was like okay now i want to own my own production company it was still very small but i was like okay i'm doing music videos for other people let me produce mine interesting let me directly uh talk with the the music studio the label the artist and try to make money it wasn't that easy but that's how i became an entrepreneur by being inspired by my big brothers uh doing things and being independent. So the first company I work with as a director, even as an intern, was led by um, a black guy. And this guy was one of the only uh, black person I knew in the industry. His stage name was Squall. He owned this company called Focal Production. And he was directing and producing like all the music video for, for hip hop artists. And I was like, okay, you know, this guy is independent. So I was inspired by a role model, right? right. So then moving forward, I became uh, myself a young and poor entrepreneur trying to do the same, not to compete with him. It wasn't like a question of, oh, you see a brother doing something, you want to do exactly the same thing to compete with. No, no, no. It was like, okay, how do you create a value on the market and a community of people that will support each other right the space on the market and, and so that's actually how i became an entrepreneur and so you started um, your own production studio or you started your own yes. music so, okay so I, I started my first production company um so we were doing two things music videos and events but why both because, you know, when you organize events, you meet with uh, DJs, artists, and then it's easier to ask them, oh, you need a video. Right. <laughs> I, can, I can direct your video. So it was also, uh, but it was the best way to learn. Usually what I say to people, if you cannot afford a business school, create events. Interesting. It's the best way to learn about marketing, uh, finance, how to build your relationship, uh, business development, relationships, everything, yes. everything. Right. And you don't need a lot of money because usually you can negotiate with the venue and pay like do like a co-production and pay like a, a percent. Like it's, it's not that hard. Right. So you started doing that. And then how did I morph into you? Doing video on demand and building so a platform. Between my years directing music videos and producing music videos and then becoming the CEO of AfroStream, a lot of things happened. What I did after the music videos, because it wasn't enough, you know, you know, I had I have big ambition and my ambition was to tell stories, right? And so music videos don't really tell stories. So then I was like, what can I do to get closer to my dream? Like 
produce movies and series. And at the time, even if I was like producing content, like music videos, I had not enough money to produce a movie or a series. And then I was like, okay, the minimum viable product would be to have people telling story on stage is like is the minimum that's, that's and so i was inspired by the stand-up comedy shows that I, I watched on tv from the states where you have like comedians on stage telling their life their story sharing their cultural heritage and i was like okay this thing doesn't exist in france at all at, at the time like 10 years ago even more like maybe like 15 years ago we had just old school comedian on stage and I was like, oh, let me, let me disrupt this thing. And so I was scooting for talent. I was using my network in the music industry to find comedians. And I created this show called Comic Street Show. It was the first ever stand-up comedy show in France with black comedian, Asian comedians, Arab comedians, all on the same stage. Interesting. Very diverse. And it was like immediate success. It was immediate it success? Was immediate, immediate success. You made so money from people, it, you mean? Or was it attended yeah, by a lot of people yeah, so who had I good made, reviews? I made, I made some money for it, not a lot. But what was impressive is that, you know, I'm always good. I'm pretty talented when it comes to create brand. Branding, that's, you know, I know how to do it. The good thing is I'm also good at understanding what's happening in the society at one particular time. And so... At this time, when I created this show, it was right before huge tension in the, the country, just before the suburbs of Paris uh, exploded. This uh, racial tension, it was like, so having like people, diversity on stage, all together, celebrating their religion, cultures and stuff was perfect. But long story short, producing that gave me like a lot of visibility. So then many TV network came to see the show live, interacted with me. At the time, I was only 24. Wow, that's interesting. So, so <laughs> again, I was able to show that I was creative, able to create momentum around me and success. Then this show was turned by uh, Canal Plus as a TV show. I wasn't involved in the TV show, but took my show and turned it, turned it into a TV show. After that, I was right, working on my first tv series because you know like all the tv network wanted to work with me i was this young black guy coming from nowhere i'm the first young black guy having a development deal with a, a major tv network in france interesting and what was uh, the deal about to create a show to create a, a tv series a tv series what was this tv series supposed to be about about so it was it was uh about the it was like a local store with okay. run by people from the diversity, so black, Asian, Arab. And basically, it was a bit like Seinfeld. I don't know if you know this show, Seinfeld, but they talk about, you know, everything and nothing. Okay, talk so it was a talk show. It was, it, was, it was like a, like a sitcom. Yeah, it's a sitcom. Yeah. Did you produce that? And then that gave you insight into what it means to run a TV show, to run full production. Yeah. And then you started seeing opportunity in African content for VOD. At the time, not even. So so it's a bit more complicated. I, I try to move faster. but uh, yeah. So I was doing that. A first deal, 
hiring writers and stuff. Then we shot the pilot. And once I delivered the pilot to the TV network, I said, like, it's not for us. You know, when people think that we want to go in the one direction and then yeah. this is a result, we're like, ah, <laughs> no, we're not ready for it. Where, where did you... Okay, two questions. Where did you get the money to do the initial pilot from? And two... They paid. They paid you to do the pilot. Yeah, okay, so, yeah, so you were commissioned to I do was, the pilot. Yeah, I was okay. paid for about like two years to work on the project. So you were commissioned to do it. And then why did yeah. they say it wasn't for them? Was it too too strong? Was it too ethnic? And yeah, it was too, it was too spicy. It was too spicy. It was too ethnic. So <laughs> for the, it's too hard for the mainstream. It was too hard for the mainstream. Uh, they were not ready. But it was okay. I was, again, you know, like failure is a way for you to learn. So I've learned that even if it was a great experience, it wasn't for them. So, but why didn't, they, why didn't they see it before? Didn't they see the script and, and stuff before you finally did the pilot? No, because, you know, like when they order pilot, yeah. but even when they pay for the development, so they pay for you to write the episode and everything, you're not the only project. They do it with like 10 other people. Right. So at one point, they have to choose one. So there's nothing personal. It's just like, you know, sometimes it depends on who's the head of content acquisition and yeah. then it depends on taste. Yeah. But, you know, it was it was a failure. I was like, you know, I was, again, at the end of the process, I was maybe like 25 or 26. And I was like, ah, oh, yes, I will make it. I will make it, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, you're like, okay, no, um, the project just failed. It just stops here. But you have like when you're 26 and you you leave the success and then it stops and that's the only thing you know like entertainment like you have to choose you can either be depressed or move forward yeah and I choose to move forward and because I choose to move forward I had another opportunity so one of the cast member of my pilot wrote a play for theater. It was like, oh, okay, Andre, I saw you working on the stand-up comedy show. I saw you working on this TV series. Uh, I want you to help me to, to develop this play. I think it's a great show and I want to work with you. And so at first, I was almost not paid to work with this guy. And like a few years later, it was one of the biggest shows in France. And we were touring all over uh, Europe and in some countries in Africa. Wow. The story was about an interracial couple, and it was a story about love. Interesting. And it was, a, like, just, just a huge success. And ah. again, I wasn't still into African content, or even Afro-swim. I was about telling the stories, what people call niche stories. Hmm. So think about it. When I started, at first, it was about hip-hop music. The yeah. hip-hop music at the time was a niche music. It was the music of the black people, right? Yes. Then I used stand-up comedy to tell the stories of people, you know, like from my generation, like African, Arabs, people from the, the diversity, like yeah. they said. Yeah. And then I was using the same elements for my TV series. Yeah. And then with the play, the show for theater, it was about an interracial couple. So a Muslim guy from Morocco and this white Catholic girl from Paris. Again, niche stories. So I was always passionate about those stories, us in our diversity. So after producing, co-producing play and becoming the managing director of an actual theater in Paris, I was, was like, it, it was okay. a theater. So it was a stage play. Stage play, yeah. Okay. And then I was like, okay, now I'm 20, I don't know, which I think I was like 20, I was eventually 30. 
I was 30 something. Yeah, I was 30, 31 or two. I was like, okay, what can I do with my life? Mm. And I was like, I want to do something more personal. I want to do something related to my roots, something that will have a larger impact. And that's how I started to question myself. At one point, I was willing to quit entertainment. I was like, oh, I've done that too much. Let me try something new. And then, you know, I ended up doing AfroStream. But, you know, the, the idea for me was to leverage technology um, to be able to scale the way I was sharing stories. And why technology is because when I was managing this uh, in Paris, I was not happy by the way we were selling our tickets. So because we are depending on third parties. Mm. So because we are depending on third parties, I was like, why do we depend on them? We own the content. We own the venue. People are coming for our content. I don't get it. And so I was like, oh, let's build our own website. And then let's build our own, you know, like... <laughs> so you, you said like getting attuned like, to technology and say technology can help you get more independence in terms yes. of distribution, connecting directly to your audience, disintermediating any third party in between that exists a lot in many industries. That's quite Yes, good. and I was like... And so that's how I started to get interested into the, this startup world is because you know i tried to figure out a way to become independent and so i started to you know like to have a a bigger and stronger interest into startups and then i was like okay let's use my weekend and my time off to go to hackathon right uh boot camp to read like books about uh how to start a um a startup so instead of getting your head around technology entrepreneurship even though you were an experienced entrepreneur at that point you know how to start business and make it successful and and build a multinational business to some extent but you really want to understand how to leverage technology and it's a different mindset to be able to do that to have because some people actually a lot of entrepreneurs uh, who are especially successful ones who wants to actually build tech tech enabled business they struggle there because they fail to realize that technology is not just a add-on that you just have an IT guy working with you you have to redefine and redesign the business and put technology in the core dna of the business from ideating to distribution to the way you connect your customers to the way you build your staff and their culture it has to be part of the whole thing rather than just we have an, we have a technology we have an it department and that's what you try to do yeah like I, th- I think that the way my brand is built and the way i think is i'm always trying to be innovative and maybe because i have this creative background and i'm very open-minded easy for me to challenge the statu quo and to try to come up with new solutions so i was like educating myself i would say it's important to educate yourself when you want to change your life (laughs) and reinvent yourself and so that's how i decided to quit from everything quit from the theater quit from the production company quit from everything and when i quit it I had no idea of what I'm going to do in the future. <laughs> it was like, I had no idea. I had little money. So what I did after going to Akaton and stuff, I went to a trip in Asia for about five weeks. And in five weeks, I've been to five countries, Indonesia, Thailand, Singapore, Malaysia, and Vietnam. And But I've been in those countries in the past. But this time, you know, I was looking at how those people were using 
technology. Interesting. I was like looking for inspiration. I was like going there looking and I was surprised, not by the way they were using their phones, but surprised because the content they were watching was Asian content. Interesting. And it sounds like obvious, but don't forget that I grew up in France where the content people watch a lot is Hollywood. You know, I knew that in Africa, People were watching a lot of like Bollywood content and content from you know, like all over the world, but not necessarily from the continent. Yeah. Except in Nigeria, but Nigeria is really an exception, right? Mm. So I was surprised by that. And then, then I remember in the subway in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, I was amazed because people were watching series on their smartphones. I was like, whoa, you know, like, like a full episode. I was like, whoa. And I don't know if you've, you've been in Asia before, but you know, Sometimes you can we can say that Asia is very similar to to some parts of Africa. Mm, cultur- the culturally, but in, culturally, yeah, yeah. culturally, the, the way the family interact, families interact, and those those other stuff. So I was inspired, and then so after my trip, I'm back in Paris, and I'm like, no, I need to learn more. I need to learn more about this tech bubble, and so I called a friend. We live in San Francisco. I ask him if I can crash on his couch for about three weeks. He says yes. Boom. That's interesting. <laughs> so you you you're the type of person that learn by immersing yourself in a culture yes. rather than just reading. You if you want to get something, you actually put yourself into the into the place and try to understand it by interacting with the with the whole idea rather than just reading about it. Yeah, it's a luxury because you know, it's not cheap to, to travel. Yeah. I was willing to sleep in the couch for about a month just to learn. Yeah. And, you know, it's cheaper than going to a private school. So, yeah, yeah, and and you also have the opportunity to do that because you you got a passport that enable you to travel to places without having. Oh to yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a French passport. Yes, so that is so that's, that that's is important. A, that's quite important. That's important. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's quite important. I have a French passport. Um, so I'm there. I connect with people, and the good thing is, you know, what I've done in the past was still very uh, useful. The way I learn how to connect with people, interact with them, network, you know, what, what I've learned in the music industry and then in the entertainment industry, I use it. So for me, going to those cocktails or pitch session in San Francisco, it was easy. I was, you know, first Americans, we know how to connect. But for me, as an African guy and French guy, it was easier because of my background. Then, you know, like sometimes people talk about the Silicon Valley and the mindset, but it's really when you're there that you understand. And so I think that by going there without having a project, just time, time to learn, mm-hmm. I acquired um, like this unfair advantage because I was quite mature. But now, like I was seeing the world like people in Silicon Valley were seeing the world. And it was allowing me to then come up with an idea. So then when I was back from this trip, that's when I started to think about AfroStream. Right. Is that uh, where but, they... But you know, it was quite a journey before having this idea of AfroStream. Yes. Um, that was what I wanted to ask. How did you then... Was it an idea that formed over a period of time? Or was this a suggestion? It's okay, you're putting a lot of, a lot of um, things together and you're saying, okay, I've always been interested in storytelling and I've always been trying to move some of the culture on the outside 
scared to the mainstream in, in France and an African. I've been to Asia. I see how they connect to their own personal story. And I've seen how technology works and enable this to scale in Silicon Valley. And all of these things just point to one direction that we need to tell the African story and use technology to do that. Is that how it forms? Or was it just, you just saw something like that and said, okay, it's Netflix. Why can't we do something like this in Africa as well? So it's more complicated than that. <laughs> so when I went back to France, you know, I put in my French SIM card in my phone and I had many voice messages and two of them was job offerings. One from a famous director in France, a black guy, Fabrice Eboué, offering me to work with him on his new script for his new movie. Mm. The other one was from a studio, uh, a big studio in France called Europa Corp. They produce like big movies. It's the Luc Besson studio mm-hmm. and they were offering me to work also on the script of a series. But because from the time I produced this stand-up comedy show and then working on my TV series, people knew that I was one of the few very creative black person in France. So that's why they were calling me. And so while I was working on those two projects and those two projects had black characters as a lead character. Oh, you you took on those two projects, right? Yeah, yeah, I took on those two projects. But like... Why were we developing those projects? I need money. Mm-hmm. Why, why were we working on those projects? We had like, so many obstacles. The first one is like the producer of the movie was asking us to put dumb things and to create stereotypes around the lead character. And was like, no, like I don't want again to portray a black female that way. This is, this is not what I wanted to do. And that was frustrating because I knew that we had creative people talented actors and people willing to pay to see like you know like authentic stories yeah and with the other project beauty in the future podcast season three is brought to you in partnership with flutterwave flutterwave's business is about connecting global businesses to africa and building new businesses out of africa through payment and technology. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion of Flutterwave. To get started, go to flutterwave.com. You've been listening to Building the Future podcast by Dalton. These are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the African future, and you'll be able to hear all their stories. For more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com. Our revolution will be televised. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I have a favor to ask you, and it will take 30 seconds of your time or less. It will mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, you can easily let me know by going into iTunes, Teacher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts and subscribe. You can also go to our website, thestarter.com. That is T-H-E-S-T-A-R-T-A.com and sign up for our newsletter. It will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy. If you subscribe now, it will help us a lot. Thanks.